0: We are in a series called The Grace Project, and we've been gathering as a church. It looks a little different, but we've been saying this is still us. God is still here. Grace still works. This is the worst season to do things in your own strength. The grace of God is with you. The grace of God is on you. And there's something special about understanding what grace really means. And I want to preach a message today that I really believe is going to encourage you. I'm going to put the title up. They'll put it on the screen. The title of this message is called This Grace Hits Different. This Grace Hits Different. Somebody just said, this grace hits different. What does it mean? Grace doesn't hit us. No, no, no. It's received. I know. I know you're super spiritual. You went to Bible college, but grace hits different. It's, it's a phrase the young people are 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 doing if you don't have a TikTok, you might not know what this means but it's a phrase that young people are doing it hits different means like you know you have your favorite food you might eat your favorite taco spot and you eat the taco and you've had the taco a hundred thousand times but because you haven't had it in a while you say man these tacos hit different it means i've had this before but something's special about this particular time. During the middle of a quarantine, going outside hits different. Going for a drive hits different. It's something that you've done a lot of times before, but for some reason this time it, it develops new meaning or you enjoy it this time maybe more than in previous times. And I really believe in the middle of a global pandemic, in the middle of quarantine and not being able to come to church and see your friends, the grace of God will hit you. Different in a season like this, meaning that it will mean more to you than it ever has meant before. And so, I want to share a passage of scripture that I really believe is going to encourage you. It's from the book of Hosea. We've been in the Old Testament a lot. I've been finding so much encouragement from the Old Testament. And in the book of Hosea, it talks about obviously Hosea, and Hosea was the last prophet before the northern kingdom of Israel fell to Assyria and got into exile and, you know, earlier, hundreds of years earlier, Solomon would have been king and there was so much peace and prosperity when Solomon was king. And then after Solomon, there were some challenging times, but Hosea was a prophet right before God kind of had had enough. People were, were prosperous and there was peace, but they used their prosperity and their peace as a, re, as a, as a method of getting them away from God. Sometimes it's hard for us in seasons of prosperity to worship God and that's exactly what was happening with God's people. But even worse, not only were they not worshiping God, they had put idols in God's place. And sometimes that's what people do. God blesses us with something and we worship it. Or or God gives us a dream and we worship the dream. We stop worshiping God. And so this happened with all of God's people. So he raised up Hosea to be a mouthpiece, if you will, for God to people that had abandoned God. And what I find interesting is throughout this passage of scripture, even though we're talking about a nation, God doesn't... Uh, refer to Israel like a nation while he is a leader of a nation. or a, He refers to Israel as a wife with God being a husband. This is how deep the intimacy that God wanted to have with his people. And he was so upset that they had been worshiping other gods. Matter of fact, we're going to hear some tough language that God compared their worship of other gods to. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, when when God this word says this, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will conceive in prostitution. See that strong language. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Verse three says, Hosea married Gomer the daughter of Diblam and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son and the Lord said name the child Jezreel for I'm about to punish about to punish king Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel in fact I will bring an end to Israel's independence watch this God gave Israel independence and freedom to do whatever they want and when God didn't Uh, uh, appreciate, if you will. When God uh, got upset with the way that they used their independence, he ended their independence. Isn't it interesting how during this time, when you want to go outside and you want your independence back, the longer quarantine goes on, honestly, the more meaningful things we want to do with our independence right? Somebody's out there and you just a brother. And you're like, I just want to spin around and go hiking and see the butterflies. You ain't never wanted to see a butterfly. You wanted to go out and party. Now in week one, you're like, I can't wait to go out and party. And I'm not saying partying is bad. I hope our church is a party sometimes. But what I'm saying is the longer we are in isolation, the longer we have our independence restricted, the more meaningful things we want to do when we get to go back out. My prayer is that God would end the coronavirus. I don't want people to get sick. I don't want people to die. But our quarantine, what God is doing in our home, is special. And I don't know when we can gather again as a church, but I hope it's when, when we go outside, we got different priorities. Things that used to mean a lot mean a little and things that used to mean a little mean a lot, that God has shifted things in our life and I hate Can't go anywhere. But I. But I'm starting to think that maybe it's a good thing. Because restriction is often the catalyst for revelation. Whoo, that is so good. Put in the chat. That is so good. All caps. So good. Restriction is often a catalyst for revelation. Matter of fact, the book of Revelation was was inspired by the Holy Spirit written by John, who was on a uh, 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 exile on the island of Patmos he could not go anywhere and literally the book of revelation was written in john's restriction moses was isolated behind a mountain when he saw the burning bush he didn't see a burning bush in the crowds and in the buildings he saw a burning bush by himself restricted he couldn't go back to where his people were because he had killed an egyptian and he was on the run but yet god met him there. It was in a pit that Joseph, excuse me, in the in prison that Joseph got the revelation for Pharaoh's dream. He couldn't go anywhere and he got a revelation that got him out. Of restriction Who, I am preaching. Joseph in jail, in restriction, got a revelation that would get him out of restriction. What if God is saying to his people, "Yes, I want you to be able to go outside." but yes, you've been restricted. but what if a revelation would end the restriction? This is so important that the coronavirus is not from God, but maybe in some ways the, the restriction is. I have found this in my relationship with God. God often moves more when I move less. God often moves more when I move less. I know you got the grace of God on your life, but the grace of God in this season is going to hit different when you realize there's grace in this place. Come on, you got to shout right now. There is grace in this place right Where I am, put in the chat, there's grace in this place. You don't need to go outside and go to a packed church to encounter the grace of God. There is grace in this place. And I really believe when we get out of quarantine, we're going to be carriers of the grace of God. Somebody shout one more time, wake up a neighbor if they're sleeping in. There is grace in this place. So many times when we are in these restrictions, we can feel Isolated, but what if you're not isolated? What if you're just hidden? God does His best work sometimes in hiding places. Back in the day, um, we used to have to develop photos. We didn't have like the Insta, you know, Instagram. We didn't have iPhones that could take a photo. You could see the photo. Back then, you had a Kodak. You had a Polaroid. Uh, Outcast said it best. Shake it like a pol- Wait, that ain't holy. Uh, you get what I'm trying to say. You know, you used to have to shake the Polaroid and then the picture would come out. And then if you were really taking a fancy photo, an amazing photo, it would be developed in a dark room, in a hiding place, if you will. And I think God is developing some of his greatest vision for your life in a hiding place. And I believe the enemy wants you to think you are isolated, but you just might be hidden. God is doing a special thing. Right where you are. Matthew 13, 33 says Jesus told the parable and he says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which is yeast, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Yeast makes the dough rise. And it says he compares the kingdom of God to a woman who hid yeast in bread and then waited for the yeast to spread through the entire bread. I know you feel hidden, but something's spreading. I know you feel hidden, but faith is spreading. I know you feel hidden and isolated, but grace is spreading. Sometimes God will hide us to do his best work, especially when we struggle with disobedience. He's. This is what he did in the book of Hosea. Even in Hosea chapter two, verses six through eight, the Lord says, Because she's been so disobedient and she's been taking all these blessings I've given her. And I love that he refers to the nation as a her because he's speaking as a husband, speaking to his adulterous wife. And he's saying, I gave you all this stuff and you ran off with it and gave to other gods. And he says, for this reason, in Hosea 2 verse 6, for this reason, I will fence her in with thorn bushes. See the restrictions? I will block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. And look at verse 7. When she runs after her lovers, the things that she's put before me, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them but not find them. Then she will think, I might as well return to my husband, for I was better off with him than I am now. Wow. When she runs after the things that she put before me, She won't be able to catch them, for she will search for them but not find them. And then she'll say, I I might just need to return to my husband, for I was better off with him than I am now. She doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, the cars, the house, the dream, the goals. I I gave it all. To her, I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal, which is the idol that they were worshiping. I want you to write this down because in quarantine, y'all, we can't just keep talking about grace like it's a theological concept. Grace has got to hit different during this time. And I want you to write this down. Grace hits different when you can't catch up to what you've been chasing. Grace hits different when you can't catch up to what you've been chasing. Have you been chasing a dream? If you're a pastor, have you been chasing a bigger church, more influence? If you're an artist, have you been chasing your career? Have you been chasing as a business person, more profits? It's not that anything's wrong with those things. It's not wrong With having those things, there's something wrong with chasing those things. And we don't understand that God wants us to have a lot of these things. But when we chase them, they become an idol. God is saying to you and I, why do we keep chasing what he wants us to have? He wants to give it to us, but he doesn't want us to chase it. Grace, it's different when you can't catch up with what you've been chasing And I want you to write this down. If you don't get anything out of this message, write this down. Grace should end the chase. Grace should end the chase, because when you have God's grace, you don't have to chase anything in this world. Yes, you can have goals. Nothing wrong with that. Yes, you can have dreams. But you are not a dream chaser. You pursue Jesus. And the Bible says dreams pursue you. Woo, I am. For reaching, I feel like taking a lap. You never have to be a dream chaser. Right now, I'm giving you, you can have a dream, but you never have to chase a dream because the Bible says if you pursue Jesus, dreams will pursue you. Psalm 23 says goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I pursue the shepherd, Jesus and dreams and hopes and everything I want to do chase me. Goodness and mercy will follow me. All the days of my life. That's what Psalm 23 says. Goodness means the good things that God has, the good things that life has to offer. So many times God reveals those things to us and we chase them and we lose out on grace. And right now in your room, grace is gonna hit different because grace is gonna end the chase. You pursue Jesus and certain things will just catch up to you. You know how many things I have in my life that I haven't chased? You have many things I have in my life right now that I haven't pursued? Because I'm pursuing Jesus. And it just seems sometimes that those things catch up to me. If this is true, and Psalm 23 is true, which I know it is, that as we pursue the shepherd, goodness and mercy will follow us. Then what if you have been so busy chasing your dreams that God slowed you down so your dreams could catch up to you? Did you? I'm about to tip over this table because I can tell in the spirit you didn't hear what I just said. I said, what if you have been so busy? Matter of fact, let me start over. Turn your volume up. Just turn your volume all the way up. Just all the way up. I said, what if you have been so busy chasing your dreams that God slowed you down so your dreams could catch up to you? think about that for a second. This is why I believe sometimes God slows us down because he's trying to teach us as we wait on the Lord, as we pursue Jesus, certain things that we've been chasing will catch up to us because we pursue Jesus. Dreams and hope will pursue us. And when your dreams catch up to you, that grace will hit different than when you catch what you've been chasing. Man, I believe this is somebody, this is for somebody right now and God slowed everything down for Israel in the book of Hosea. And then look at this grace in Hosea, cha- Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. It says the Lord's love for unfaithful Israel. Verse 14 says, but then I will win her back once again. I can't get away that he keeps calling a nation her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her. You'll get it back. He brings you what you used to chase. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. The very situation that you call trouble, God turns into the gateway of what you will call blessing. I said the very same place that you call trouble, God will transform into the gateway of the place you call blessing. And he says she and this place will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young. Remember the faith you used to have, the hope you used to have, the peace you used to have? She'll give me herself there as she did long ago when she was young when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. And I love Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. This is God speaking to his people. And I am just wrecked by the grace of God in these passages. But what really struck me is what God then turned and said to Hosea, the man of God who was supposed to represent God. I really believe this is what God is saying to not just men, but men and women, people who call themselves Christians, This verse is for all of us because he says to Hosea, the person representing him. And as a believer, it's not just who you believe in, it's also who you're representing. So this verse is for everyone who calls himself a Christian. He says, the Lord said to me, this is to Hosea, God speaking to him, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Think about what he's asking Hosea to do. He's saying, Hosea, if you want to speak for me, you have to go marry someone who won't speak to me. You got to go get her back. Can you imagine Hosea walking through the town? He's already married. Uh, The Bible tells us this wife's name was Gomer. He's already married her. And she's run off from him to go be a prostitute. And can you imagine Hosea as a husband getting the word of the Lord, go marry her again, go and get your wife back? And the Bible says that he had to pay to get her back. Can you imagine uh, Hosea filling up his pockets with gold and silver and going through the town looking for his adulterous wife, asking people, have you seen my wife? And maybe a man saying, I've seen her. All right. I can tell you exactly where she is and having to purchase back the wife who walked out on him for another man. This symbolizes what what Christ did for you and I. You know the Bible says we're the bride of Christ, we're the church, and Jesus purchased you and I with his own blood. Do you understand how valuable you are if God would give up his own blood to purchase you back in relationship, even though you were the one who was unfaithful, that grace should hit different church. He used his blood to purchase you and I. And maybe you're new and you're watching and you're like, I don't get it. Jesus used his blood to purchase me, yes, he shed his blood on the cross so that when you repent and put your faith in him, when you change your ways, change your mind, and you follow Jesus, you and him would be back in relationship. The Bible says he spent his blood, he purchased us with his blood. And maybe you don't understand the theology around the blood of Jesus, but what I know you would know is that if right now I contained a vial of blood that was authenticated as the real blood of Jesus Christ, no matter what your belief was, a collector would pay, it would be priceless. If I had a vial that was authenticated as Jesus' blood, it would be priceless, whether you believe in him or not. And if a vial of Jesus' blood would be absolutely priceless, the Bible says that he shed all of it for you. If a vial of Jesus' blood is priceless, how priceless are you? How much was God trying to establish your value? by shedding what was most valuable to him, the lifeblood of the Lord and Savior. He was like, you gotta go marry her. You can't speak for me if you don't marry someone who won't speak to me. You gotta understand how much I love people who don't love me back. You know, this last week, um, yet again, we had um, a black man gunned down in the streets. Ahmad Arbery. And if you saw my post about it on Instagram, um, I was frustrated. I still am. I was angry. I, I still am because it just seems I know I'm your pastor, but I'm also a black man. it just seems that this keeps happening again and again and again, and I'm tired and I'm angry. And I was praying yesterday and, um, The Lord, in my time of prayer, as I was processing that the two men who did it were arrested, in my time of prayer, the Lord said something to me really tough. He said, Julian, I I love America and I want you to love America. And that was really difficult for me to hear because I just don't understand why God is asking me to love America when I feel like America has let me down and disappointed me. And um, he brought me to this passage of Hosea and he said, I've asked Hosea to do the same thing, to love somebody that didn't love him back. And he said to me very clearly that if I'm going to be used to change America, I have to be used to change what I love, not what I hate. And that God loves America and he wants me to love America too. How do you love something or someone that's disappointed you so deeply? How do you love a country that hasn't always loved you back? Welcome to Christianity. Jesus loves us when we don't always love him back. And, uh, in all of that pain and all of that anger, I am committed to trying to figure out how I can love the things that don't love me back and how I can love the people that don't love me back. And maybe that is the only way that I get to have a voice of change. And so this is my challenge to you and I as believers. If we are like the woman, can we go back home? And if we want to be like Hosea, can we love? those who don't love us back and when we can that grace will hit different it will father in heaven i thank you for sending jesus i thank you lord that right now somebody is encountering the grace of god the grace to go home to the god they've been unfaithful to and the grace To love someone that hasn't loved them back. The grace to love a nation that hasn't loved them back, Lord. And in that, I believe you will give us a voice of change. We can't change what we hate. (laughs) Even as a parent, when our kids do things that disappoint us, we correct them because we love them, not because we hate what they do. Give us that kind of grace. Because I truly believe if we have that kind of grace during this season, it's going to hit different. It's going to feel different. And we can engage you in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen.